All right, we'll turn to Romans, Romans chapter 15, Romans 15, and I'll read from verse 25 to the end of the chapter. But now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. I know when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. We're coming to the end of the letter, this epistle to uh, the Romans, and you might say, well, we're already through it. We're already done with it. We're already done with the uh, doctrinal part of the letter. And so you might say it's like uh, the plane has already landed. It's been a good flight for the doctrinal, and we're taxiing now towards the uh, the, the gate uh, at the airport, and Paul's just dealing with a few loose ends that he's tying up uh, about uh, the life of the church and not anything uh, uh, very significant, but just comings and goings and uh, uh, whatnot and uh, tying it together here at the end. Uh, if you think what Paul says here is not helpful and relevant to us in the Christian life, then uh, you're wrong. Christian doctrine, such as the Christian doctrine that Paul, Paul so carefully lays out when he lays out the gospel in this wonderful letter to the Romans, is always connected to the ongoing life of the church. And uh, I hope you'll see that um, uh, this morning. In fact, last time we talked about that this letter, filled with doctrine as it is, even came about as a result of Paul's desire to preach the gospel in Spain, which he explains in the last part of the letter. Um, that's the passage that we had right uh, before this one. How, how was that? How did, how did this letter come about through Paul's desire for the church to advance through his ministry, even to the far reaches of Europe, uh, of um, uh, Spain. Well, Paul's ministry, as he's already explained, was to preach the gospel and plant churches where the gospel had never been preached and churches had never been planted before. That was his life's work. The Holy Spirit had called him to that from the moment that he was uh, saved. And he went from east to west kind of in consecutive order, as he explains from Jerusalem to Illyricum. It led him, his his uh, life's work and the mission of uh, doing that, uh, led him right up to the doorstep of Rome. That's what Illyricum is on your way to Italy. Um, uh, and so he was uh, running out of room. Paul did not plant the church uh, in Rome, and so he didn't consider that part of his uh, calling. Um but he wanted to minister beyond them, all the way to Spain, all the way to Spain. And he wanted to be helped by this important church uh, along the way. And so this best, most detailed, densest, richest explanation of the gospel that's contained in uh, Scripture actually came about and was formulated 
in order to fortify and cement a gospel unity with this church where Paul had never been uh, before, to make sure that they're standing in the gospel clearly together and that he's standing with them and that they're preaching the same gospel. And so he says, I'm not ashamed uh, of the gospel of Christ uh, because it's the power of God uh, for those who are uh, perishing to the Jew first and also to uh, the Gentiles. So he wanted to establish a gospel unity. That's why he wrote uh, this letter in order that they might help each other. Paul help the Romans by just encouraging them and them help him in passing as he uh, advanced the gospel westward. But before he came to them, and the letter was kind of uh, advance, um, uh, sent in advance of his coming, but before he came to them and then on to Spain, he had one more thing to do, one more important errand, uh, which he hoped would be a quick but important trip to uh, Jerusalem. And so in this part, uh, the verses that I just read, he, he uh, speaks of that. Uh, in verse 25 to 29, Paul tells them what he's doing. He tells them what this project is about, uh, his quick trip to uh, Jerusalem, what he hoped would be a quick trip. And then uh, in the second part of this passage, verse 30 to 33, he asks for their help uh, in this project to uh, uh, Jerusalem. So that's kind of a simple outline, two parts tells them what this project is, and then asks them for their help uh, in it. Very simple outline, but there's much to be learned about the nature of the Christian life in this passage and about the life of the church. Well, first, Paul tells them what he's doing, starting in verse 25. But now I'm going to Jerusalem, serving the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Paul, at this time in his life, was coming to the end of a, uh, a long project that he'd been working on for probably two or uh, three years, and he was about ready to finish it. He'd been working on it for a long time. In fact, uh, a lot of the letters that Paul wrote during this time, like 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, mentions this project and, and Paul working towards this uh, culmination. Uh, the project was to collect a contribution of financial support of money uh, from the churches that Paul had planted in Galatia, which was uh, modern day Turkey, and also in Macedonia and Achaia, which is uh, modern day Greece, and to send that collection for Paul personally to deliver it to the saints in Jerusalem. And so Paul had been making this collection, he'd been writing letters in advance to tell the churches to get ready to make this uh, contribution, and then he was going personally to collect this uh, offering uh, to support a, a relief, to support the saints in Jerusalem. And Corinth was the last stop. That was the last stop before he uh, was done and could go to Jerusalem and uh, deliver it. And that's where he's writing this letter from. He's writing it from uh, Corinth. And uh, once he collected the uh, contribution from Corinth, there would be nothing left but to take it back to uh, Jerusalem. And so uh, he mentions that uh, here in this letter. Now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints from Macedonia. That's the northern part of Greece and Achaia. That's the southern part. I've been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Why were the saints in Jerusalem poor? Well, uh, Paul's Gentile churches that he wrote, some were more wealthy than others. Congregation in Corinth was more well off than uh, the one in uh, Macedonia. 
But basically all of them were had had more as far as wealth than uh, the believers at Jerusalem. There's a reason for that. It's not because there was no wealth in Jerusalem. There was uh, far from it. But it was uh, because the believers who lived in Jerusalem were more persecuted than the believers elsewhere in uh, the empire at that at this time. Um, the believers in Jerusalem would have been expelled from the synagogue, which would have made it very hard to find work uh, that were there. And so they suffered uh, for that. Uh, for them, in their case, persecution and poverty went together. And it was kind of a perennial fixture um, that they weren't able to uh, 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 get out of. And so uh, there's a need. There's a need uh, of the poor uh, saints in Jerusalem and uh, the uh, Gentile churches that Paul has planted are, are able to make this uh, 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 contribution. Um, the uh, contribution was quite an undertaking. It was hard to move money in the in ancient times. Um, there was no ATM that you could go to or even just write a check. Uh, it You had to carry uh, the cash. And so um, Paul um, had, he got together kind of a delegation to help him do this. It talks about this in uh, Acts and uh, to carry the money to them. If you're carrying a great deal of money for friends, you feel like you have a target on your back. Um, and uh, actually the first thing that happened to Paul when he started uh, carrying the money to Jerusalem was an, an assassination attempt or a plot was discovered on board the ship that was supposed to take him to Jerusalem. This is also in uh, Acts. And uh, so Paul, instead of taking that ship, he walked. That was his first delay among many in uh, finishing this uh, project. But the danger of that situation was probably in part because of the money that they were carrying as part of this large contribution from uh, uh, the churches. So Paul simply explains to the church in Rome what he's doing. Uh, he, he doesn't ask them to make a contribution. And actually that wouldn't fit the purpose. It was meant to be from the churches that Paul had uh, founded. So he's in Corinth. He's going to go to Jerusalem to deliver this. And uh, then he's going to come to Rome and onward to Spain. That was Paul's plan. He's already explained to them the part about uh, passing from them and then on to uh, Spain. And he's telling them there's one more thing uh, that I have to do now. I'm going to Jerusalem uh, serving the saints because it's something that uh, Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to uh, put together. And now it is uh, ready to go. This uh, project, this contribution to the church in uh, Jerusalem was Paul's own idea. And certainly the Holy Spirit uh, prompted it. Uh, but no one told Paul to do this. No one commanded Paul uh, to do this, except uh, perhaps he was thinking of something that was said to him at the very beginning of his ministry, Galatians chapter 2, where Paul in Jerusalem had been sent out with full approval by um, Peter and James and John. I'll read this, Galatians chapter 2, uh, verse 7. On the contrary, seeing that I have been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor. The very thing I also was eager to do. 
So they told him, they, they told him, you're going with our full blessing. You're doing the same thing as we are. You're preaching the same gospel. So go westward to uh, the Gentiles and we'll focus on uh, the Lord's people among uh, the Jews. And they said, well, just one thing. Remember the poor. And they knew, they knew the whole situation with the uh, believers in uh, Jerusalem being persecuted and uh, struggling with poverty. And so it's like saying, don't forget us. Don't, don't forget, um, uh, that we're part of this church too. We're, we're part of this, uh, as well. And, and Paul says, well, that's, I, I didn't want to do that. That's the very thing I was eager to do. Uh, and so he readily agreed to that and he remembered it. He remembered it. In fact, he, it helped him to conceive this grand project. Now that uh, his churches were uh, established, churches that the Lord uh, through him had uh, uh, planted and they'd hit a milestone where he'd come all the way up to Rome. Now now the churches that Paul had planted are are encroaching upon the territory of uh, Rome uh, and Italy. And so Paul says, now's the time to remember what I promised to Peter and James and John and what I'm eager to do anyway. And uh, to uh, not only... um, uh, conceive of a unity, but to give a tangible expression to uh, this uh, unity. Paul was kind of brimming with ideas at this point. He had this idea that he was working on that he wanted to reach all the way, the gospel to reach all the way to Spain and uh, for Rome uh, to help him uh, as well. So uh, Paul tells the Romans, and, and they probably wouldn't have known about this yet. Uh, he tells the Romans uh, about this project and it's basically a detour because he's telling them, I want, I want to come to you and I want you to help me on the way to Spain. But there's something that I have to take care of that's very important and involves a trip to Jerusalem. He says that Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints. Uh, and then he says in verse 27, yes, they were pleased to do so and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in uh, material things. He mentions twice. That they were pleased, the, the the believers in Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make this contribution. He says they were they're pleased to make a contribution for the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they explains the reason uh, because uh, they're indebted to them and they've shared in their spiritual things, and so they think it fitting to minister to them in uh, physical uh, things. But he mentions they were pleased to do it. It was really important to Paul that this be a free offering. That uh, the uh, churches in uh, uh, in Greece and uh, in Galatia weren't didn't do this by compulsion. You know, you've gotten saved now; it's time to pay back. You've got to you've got to contribute uh, to this. But they they do it out of a full heart. They do it out of a full heart. Remember, Paul uh, in other places he's very concerned about the, their motive in giving for this project. In fact, he tells them, make preparations so that you don't give it the last minute under compulsion, but you do it freely out of uh, a, a free heart. And so uh, that's uh, important to Paul, and he underscores it when he's uh, uh, speaking about this uh, project, that uh, they, they did this because they're, they did this with a full heart. They did this because they're pleased uh, to do this, and uh, they considered it only right uh, because the Jerusalem believers have shared spiritual things with them. The gospel, that's the spiritual thing that they've shared with them. The gospel started in Jerusalem, went to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. And so it's come from uh, Jerusalem. It's come actually from that church, so to speak. They're the first to deliver and preach the gospel and to spread it uh, abroad. And so uh, spiritual things have been shared, moving from east to west, 
uh, in the case of these churches. And so they only consider it right for physical things to be shared, money, moving from west to east. That's the way in which the, uh, this uh, offering was to be um, uh, was to travel to make its way to uh, to to Jerusalem. So uh, Paul speaks about a balance, although it's very clear he's not doing this and he didn't conceive this just to establish uh, a balance or even to relieve a need, as important as uh, that is. But rather, Paul considered this to be an important expression of unity. And he wanted it to be understood by that, both by the giver of the offering and also by those who were to receive uh, the offering, it's not just relieving a need. It's not just establishing a balance between shared physical things and shared uh, spiritual uh, things. It's to express we're all part of the same family, and both Jew and Gentile. Part of the family, it's the family of faith. It's the family of Abraham. It's a family that has the same uh, family characteristic as Abraham, trusting, walking by faith, believing what you're not able to see. And uh, believing God's promise and, and believing in uh, the gospel. Uh, it's very clear that Paul uh, um, considered this gift something larger than itself, even larger than the relief, the physical relief that it offered. For example, Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse twelve, is part of his preparation for this project, careful preparation, uh, where Paul says. Um, for the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they, the saints in Jerusalem, will glorify God for your obedience to your confession to the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all, while they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. And so this is to be... To establish a connection, sometimes something tangible can help to express uh, a connection that is uh, much deeper and and much more important even than that uh, tangible uh, thing. So uh, this was to be an expression of unity, especially between Gentile believers and Jewish believers. There's a wall of separation that's been broken down in uh, Christ so that uh, both are, are, are heirs to the same inheritance and part of the same family and uh, exercising the same faith. And Paul thought this would promote a, a yearning for one another, a prayer for one another, uh, as well even for these people who had never met uh, each other and might actually never meet uh, each other. So actually what Paul was doing in telling the Romans about this project, he was, he was telling them about something on a worldwide scale that would be the same as what he uh, had especially told them to do in their church, which, and I'm talking about uh, especially chapters 14 and 15, where Paul takes all the things that he's been talking about of the gospel and brings it to bear on this issue uh, that was dividing Jewish believers from Gentile believers in the church of uh, Rome, this issue of food and of holidays and uh Paul told them, don't judge one another for differences, don't despise one another, and don't cause one another to stumble in conscience uh, over these things, but rather welcome one another as fellow members of the body of Christ. Welcome one another just as Christ himself has welcomed you so that you will be able to praise the Lord with one voice, circumcised and uncircumcised uh, together with one voice, uh, even before those differences are um, made totally uniform, um, you can uh, 
worship God with one voice uh, together. And so what was supposed to happen in their church was also happening in the church at large and was happening in, in part through this gift uh, that Paul had conceived and was uh, bringing into uh, reality. So verse um, 28 says, Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by you, uh, go on by way of you to Spain. Paul says, I'm about to finish this project. I have to wait to see you until I finish this, uh, uh, project, but I'm about to finish it and put my seal on this fruit of theirs, the Gentile believers that are making this, uh, gift. Um, I think Paul's speaking metaphorically. I don't think he had a real seal, like a signet ring or something that he was going to put his name on whatever they were giving to um, the believers in uh, Jerusalem. But he's, he's speaking metaphorically. He said, they've made a gift and I'm going to put my seal on it. I'm going to add the authority of my name, the apostle to Gentiles. In fact, I'm going to be the delivery man for this uh, gift uh, uh, done with my full blessing and uh, full support, not to mention Paul's not only the, uh, the apostle to the Gentiles, but he's the Jewish apostle. Uh, as well, and he's bringing this uh, uh, gift from the Gentile uh, uh, believers. So uh, Paul is um, finishing this project and putting his seal on the fruit of others. Paul was really concerned for the the, the, his, the churches that he had planted that they would bear fruit and that their, their fruit would remain. That's why he spent so much time talking about them having a Christ-honoring motive, not just the action of what they were doing, uh, but the, the right, that it flow out of grace and be, that be something that is rewarded uh, for all eternity and uh, would bear fruit and not just something done by um, uh, compulsion. And so he speaks of finishing this project as uh, setting his seal on this fruit, of uh, theirs. The Christian motive is there with the gift, and now all that remains is the act itself of giving this gift. And so Paul is uh, uh, helping to uh, to to bring that uh, about. Verse 29, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. What did Paul anticipate about this whole project and then being able to come uh, to Rome. Well, he wasn't sure how it all would work out. In fact, it worked out quite differently than he imagined. But he says, I'm sure of this. I know this, that when all this is said and done, I'm going to come to you in the fullness of the blessing of Christ, of Christ. He mentions Christ. And uh, when he mentions Christ here, which Paul loves to do, it's never just the throwaway line. You know, he doesn't say, well, I'm, 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 I'm writing and I'm writing with a certain rhythm and I need a couple more syllables here to really round out what I'm saying. So I'm just going to say blessings. I, I'm sure I'm going to come to you in the blessings of Christ. No, it's not a throwaway line for him. It's the most important thing. Christ is the source of blessing. I know I'm going to come to you with the blessing of the Lord, blessings of Christ. And they all come from Christ. Christ is the source of blessing. His person is the source of blessing. And it's uh, Paul's uh, sureness, his assurance in the future that uh, he's going to come to the Romans in blessing after this project uh, is done is all because of the person of Christ. And so he's, he doesn't just say, I'm going to come to you with blessings. He says, no, I'm going to come to you in the blessings of Christ. What would happen to a church if the Lord Jesus left? If the Lord Jesus left, well, there would be no blessing. There would be no blessing. 
uh, because the blessing that we have in church is the blessing of Christ. And uh, we have his promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's Hebrews chapter 13, 5 and 6. The author there goes on to say, because of that, what need do you have to fear of man? You have the help of uh, of the Lord. Christ has promised never uh, to leave us or forsake us. And so we also can be sure uh, of the blessing of the Lord uh, and coming together in uh, the blessing of the Lord in uh, the future. So Paul says, I know I'm going to come in blessing. I know Christ is going to bless this endeavor. And uh, I know that Christ is at the center of this endeavor. And the reason I know he's going to bless this endeavor is because I know him. I know him personally. And so uh, here we have um, Christ kind of at the center of our passage. We have a two-part outline. And we have Christ. He's mentioned twice here at the center. And so it's kind of a hinge. The person of Christ is kind of a hinge for the two parts of this uh, passage. Remember, Paul first tells the uh, Roman believers what he's doing. He just tells them about uh, the project verse 25 to uh, 29. And then the second part is that he asks for their help in it. And he's going to urge them to help him by the Lord Jesus Christ, again, by his person. So he's going to mention Christ, the person of Christ twice. Verse uh, 30. And now, now he's asking them for their help. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. He asked for their help here. And what does he ask for? Not money. Uh, the Romans were not to make a contribution to this. He, he wouldn't have wanted them to, to do it. It wasn't about uh, collecting money from any uh, source. It was about a gesture from the, the uh, churches that Paul had planted, and Rome was not one of them. So he doesn't say, you know, we've got a collection going here, and you can make it even bigger, you know, if, if uh, you can contribute uh, to it. No, he doesn't ask them for a contribution that would not be appropriate. In fact, he doesn't even ask them for help in the task, he doesn't say, and actually, it's going to take quite a bit of doing just to get the offering to Jerusalem. And would you send some help in that for us? That also was inappropriate, probably for the same reason. This was to be from uh, the churches that uh, had been founded in Paul's ministry. And so a number of representatives from uh, those churches went with Paul in order to deliver this gift. But what does he ask them, the Romans, for? He asked them for prayer. He asked them for prayer. I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. And he's going to give specific requests in the next verse and their requests that have to do with this uh, project in uh, Jerusalem. And so he wanted them to take an interest in it. And he, more than that, he wanted them to pray. He urges them to do it by the Lord Jesus personally. So I want you to do it and I want you to think of it. In fact, this is the case that the Lord Jesus personally is urging you to pray for this uh, project. The same Lord Jesus Paul knows will bless also wants believers to pray fervently that he will bless in this project. Sure, he says, I know he's going to bless. I know it in advance, but Christ himself wants you to pray that he's going to use this project for uh, a blessing. And so uh, it is uh, right for us to know and to be sure of uh, blessing in the future. It's also right for us to pray for it, for us to pray for it, not just pray for it, but to pray fervently for it as Christ himself did. And it's Christ himself who urges us to pray in this way. In fact, you, in order to learn this, you have to learn it 
from him. So Paul uh, urges them to pray by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. He mentions the Holy Spirit. And when you think of the Holy Spirit or the atmosphere that the Holy Spirit brings and everything that he does and as, as he inhabits uh, us and uh, we're controlled by his uh, influence, the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit is the atmosphere of love between a father and a son. Like uh, was revealed in a number of places in Christ's ministry where a voice from heaven came and often the, uh, the Spirit um, came and was seen in the Lord and there's a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And so it's a, it's a, uh, a voice that expresses love uh, from a father to a son. And that same love, the love that only the Holy Spirit uh, can bring is to um, be the atmosphere of all that we do is to control all that we do. And so he urges them to pray by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the spirit. Paul in another place in his epistle says the love of God controls us. The love of God causes us to do what uh, we do. And he wanted the love of God not only to urge him forward, but to urge them forward and to urge them uh, to pray. He wanted them not only to pray for this project, but he uses a uh, pretty vivid word for the prayer to strive together with me in your prayers to God. Uh, for me. And so he uses a word, it's, it's the word that we get our word agony from it, and it meant like a contest, like a wrestling match. Uh, that's how he wants him to pray for this project, even though he's sure in advance that there's going to be a blessing. He wants them to struggle, to agonize, to strive in uh, prayer with him. So Paul says, join me in, uh, in my struggle in praying together uh, that there's going to be blessing uh, in, uh, in, in this. John chapter 18 verse 36 uses that same word in a very different context where the Lord explains why his servants are not fighting. And he explains this to Pilate. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. And we use that word fighting. That's the same word. It's translated in a different way here. It's the same word for, uh, striving. Uh, together. And so that's what Paul asks them and urges them uh, to do, to strive together with me in uh, your prayers to God for, uh, for me. That's how Paul prayed for the Colossian church that he never visited. And then uh, he mentioned Epaphras at the end of his letter to the Colossians, uses the same word. That's how Epaphras prayed for his hometown. Paul had never been to Colossae, but uh, Epaphras was from there and a Epaphras strived, he struggled, he agonized in prayer uh, for them. And that's how Paul wanted the Romans to pray for him in this uh, in this upcoming uh, project uh, for him. And that's the way the Lord wants you to pray, too, striving uh, in prayer, like Jacob wrestling with uh, the angel of God himself. He'd say, well, is that even a, a reverent thing to do, to strive with God in prayer? To, it's translated in, in the other place that I read as uh, fighting. Uh, when we're already sure that the Lord is going to bless and, and uh, yet he wants us to grapple with him in prayer and to ask others to help us do it and to stand with us in the struggle, asking for God uh, in prayer. Well, there's mystery in this. I can't explain all of this. In fact, when we enter into this ministry, we're standing on holy ground when we simply pray to the Lord. We're standing in, in uh, holy ground and something that cannot be uh, explained. And it's uh, all I can say about it is it's, it can only be done in Christ. 
Christ is the only one who can teach you to live this way and to pray this way. And, and the prayers that are done, striving with God, asking him for his blessing, saying, I will not let you go uh, unless you uh, bless me, uh, can only be done in Jesus' name. That's why that's, that's what gives us the boldness to pray in this way, uh, is to pray not in our own name, but to pray in uh, Jesus' name. So uh, not something that Paul takes casually here. He asks the Romans, this is their contribution to this gift. He wants them to have a part in it, too. Uh, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. And uh, two prayer requests that he mentioned. This is the first one. That I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in uh, Judea. And uh, this is a, a life and death prayer request uh, for Paul. He mentions those who are disobedient in Judea. These, these are unbelievers. These are the ones who are persecuting. These are the ones that are causing the saints in Jerusalem to be uh, poor. They're those who have rejected uh, the gospel. Paul doesn't pray for their salvation here, although he said in chapter 9 and chapter 10, my heart's desire is for their salvation. And I have great sorrow of heart. I'm not lying. Uh, in the Lord, I have great sorrow and heart for my countrymen uh, uh, that they might uh, come to the gospel. He doesn't pray for their salvation here. He simply prays that his life will be spared. And that's what he wants uh, them to join him in, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in uh, Jerusalem. Those who reject the gospel are not just those who have chosen differently or uh, have no responsibility for it. Uh, they're, they're, Paul calls them disobedient. They're disobedient in that they've rejected uh, the gospel. And so he prays to be uh, rescued from those who are disobedient in uh, in in uh, Jerusalem, he's praying that his life might be spared. Paul uh, knew that uh, he was considered to be a traitor uh, by his own people, a traitor against his nation, a traitor against the law, a traitor against God, a traitor against the temple in uh, Jerusalem, and so he knew his life was in danger, and it was. His life was spared, but not because they didn't try desperately to uh, kill Paul when he came to Jerusalem. And in fact, they did that on a couple of occasions. Uh, at one time, taking a vow after Paul had been in prison not to eat until they had uh, killed uh, Paul. And so he prays for protection. He prays to be rescued from uh, the disobedient in Judea. And then he prays this, pray that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. Um, and Paul's not sure that it will be. Uh, acceptable to uh, the saints, uh, but he wants it to be. His prayers for that. And uh, Paul's not trying to please men. He's he's uh, seeking to please the Lord, not to please men. But he wants this gift to be more than what it just seems. He want it. He wants it to be a tangible expression of unity. And uh, in order for it to be that, it needs to be something that is welcomed by the saints and received for what it is as an expression of love in uh, Christ. And so he says, pray, pray that I be spared, be rescued from those disobedient, and also that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. And uh, I think the way this is often understood, the saints is the, um, the saints in Jerusalem. But I, I think uh, perhaps Paul means the saints on, on both sides of this geographical uh, divide, both the givers who are saints and also the receivers of this gift. He wanted it to be pleasing both, both the way the, uh, the way in which it was given for those who are giving it and uh, also to be received well 
by those uh, receiving the gift. And so Paul wants to finish this well in a way that's going to be pleasing to the saints, both the givers and to the receivers of this gift and to be understood uh, for what uh, it is. And so that's what he asked them to struggle with the Lord uh, in prayer for. With this result, when the Lord answers this prayer, verse 32, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Uh, Paul, um, the result that Paul's looking for as this prayer is answered is he is that he'd be able to come with this done. He'd be able to come uh, to Rome, which he looks forward to almost as a time of rest and recuperation from the labor of this, which is going to prove to be a, he knows it's going to be a difficult task. And so he prays that his life would be spared, that the gift would be received well, uh, ask them to enter into it so that he'd be able to come to them in joy and have rest in their company, kind of a humble way to speak to them. Uh, we're going to be re- a refreshment to each other. You know, he doesn't speak to them from on high uh, as he could as uh, as uh, as an apostle. But uh, he prays that he might be able to come to them in joy. And joy was no small thing for the apostle Paul. Um, it was important for his ministry. In fact, in a letter to of Second uh, Corinthians, uh, Paul talks about an open door being presented for ministry. Uh, in uh, Troas, but finding no rest for his spirit because Titus hadn't come and told him about Corinth, uh, he passed. He didn't take the, the opportunity for ministry. He couldn't do the ministry with joy, so he said, it's not time for me to do it. That's how important it was for Paul to do the work of the Lord with uh, joy. And then later, uh, Titus comes back, and uh, Paul says in the same uh, letter, besides our comfort, we rejoiced even more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. And so he talks about Titus coming and restored the joy to uh, Paul's ministry, and that was a key component for his ministry to uh, the Lord. And so uh, Paul uh, anticipates that with uh, uh, the Romans, uh, as well. Um, and as a result of, of them struggling in prayer, pray that this will be done, that it will be done well, and that I'll be able to come to you and come to you in joy for everything that the Lord has uh, accomplished. Come to you in joy by the will of God. Come to you in joy because that's what God wants, because uh, it's his will. And why does God want for this task to be done and done well and to be finished in joy? Well, mysteriously, because he wants to answer prayer. And so he prays for joy that would be according to the will of uh, the Lord as a result of their prayers. And then uh, finally, verse uh, 33, where Paul concludes this part of the epistle. There's only greetings that come after this. He says, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. And so he commits them to the God of peace. In verse five of this chapter, Paul has uh, committed them to the God of uh, perseverance and encouragement. And so that uh, describes who God is and what he gives. In verse 13, he uh, committed them to the God of hope, the God of hope. And now finally, he commits them to the God of peace, the God who is peace and the God who is peace. Paul's life at this point uh, was anything but tranquil. The prayer request recognizes that. He's asking for prayer for deliverance from uh, death. But behind it all, Paul knows is a God of peace amidst all the turmoil is a God of peace. He's, and so his final prayer uh, for them at this point is may the God of peace be with you. 
as you as you go. The God who is peace and the God who gives uh, peace. And it's the same for us. It's the same for us. It's the God of peace who goes with us. We're living in a time of turmoil, a time when a lot of the things that have been constant for, for many, many years are in motion and uh, are um, not at rest. And uh, it's the God of peace. And it's important for us to remember that, uh, that it's the God of peace who is uh, with us. Well, before I kind of Tie, try to tie this together and talk about what to be what is to be learned about the Christian life and the life of the church uh, from uh, this passage, which we've uh, looked through. Uh, let me just uh, ask this question: What happened? Paul's writing to them about this project, uh, telling them what it is, asking them to pray uh, for it. Uh, were his prayers answered? Was he able to deliver this gift? Was it accepted? by uh, uh, the saints. Well, his prayer request that he be rescued from the disobedient who are in Judea was answered. He was rescued, uh, but it was in the nick of time. I remember the, the mob formed around him in the temple and they were ready to tear him to pieces and the, the soldiers had to come in and, and rip him away from uh, the mob of uh, Judeans who were angry with uh, Paul. And uh, that didn't stop their fury. They still uh, sought his life uh, after that, and so Paul was almost uh, killed, but the Lord answered the prayer of the Romans, in, in, in part because of the Romans striving together with Paul in prayer for this very uh, request when the Lord caused those Roman soldiers to grab Paul by the scruff of the neck and pull him away from uh, people who were, who were beating him uh, to death. They were moved in part by the Romans' prayers. Uh, striving together with Paul and the Lord answered those prayers. Was his service for Jerusalem acceptable to the saints? How did this project end up that Paul had spent so much time and thought on? Well, it seems so. Um, it's mentioned in Acts and it's, it's, um, it's not given a whole lot of fanfare when it comes to this part. I'll read you the part. Acts chapter 21 and verse uh, 17. It says, we arrived in Jerusalem. The brethren received us gladly which is a good sign. The following day, Paul went up in with us to James and all the elders were present. After he had greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God. So uh, it doesn't specifically mention um, the offering being given uh, in uh, Jerusalem, but uh, the point of the offering, which was to make a unity between a Jew and Gentile, in uh, the church was already well underway when Paul was received well by the um, the elders in uh, the Jerusalem church and the apostles that uh, were there. Paul doesn't really mention uh, the um, offering again in Acts. In fact, he mentions it just in one little place where he's uh, testifying before Felix. Acts chapter 24, verse 17, it says, Now after several years... I came to bring alms to my nations and to present offerings. And that's probably a reference to uh, the gift. But uh, so the scripture doesn't tie up that loose end uh, exactly, but uh, we can be sure that that prayer was answered uh, as well. Was Paul able to come to the Roman church in blessing? That's what he was hoping for as the result of these prayers being uh, answered. Yes, he came, although it was not at all the blessing that he imagined. He imagined that he would come to Rome quickly after writing this uh, letter, uh, he came to Rome slowly. He thought it would be a matter of months before he was there in uh, Rome. 
it turned out to be years and years of him languishing in prison in Caesarea and then uh, spending time in prison in uh, Rome. He thought he would come free as a free man uh, to the church in Rome and experience this uh, uh, blessing. He uh, came in chains after suffering shipwreck along the way that's told to us uh, in uh, Acts. But uh, we do have this um, kind of touching picture of uh, the way in which Paul was received when he did come to Rome as uh, a prisoner. Acts chapter 28 and verse uh, 15, it says, And the brethren, when they heard about us, came from there as far as the market of Appius and three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. And so they, when Paul, when they heard, well, he's landed in Italy, they go down to the uh, the coast and uh, uh, kind of greet Paul, even in chains, and uh, uh, go with him into the city. And Paul sees their love uh, for him, and uh, he's encouraged by that. And so the Lord uh, answered these prayers, though, in a very different way than Paul uh, imagined. You can tell that even in the way that he writes this and uh, the way in which it uh, unfolded. Well, what's to be learned? What's to be learned from this uh, passage of Paul explaining what his errand is, telling the Romans, here's what I'm doing, here's what I've been involved with, and then asking them to help him in prayer, to strive with him in uh, prayer. Well, we can learn from the project itself that Paul was completed. Paul used his imagination, so to speak, or he was open to the Lord's leading, at least to come up with this project. He went to great lengths to carry it out. And so the, Paul ministered uh, not on cruise control, not simply following commands by rote. I'm just going to follow all of the Lord's uh, commands and that's it. No, he, he thought of this. He thought, he thought of what would be uh, useful uh, of the Lord and, and wanted to minister it as a priest, as his offering to the Lord that would be acceptable in the sight of uh, the Lord. And that's the whole Christian life, actually, is to present an offering through Christ that's acceptable and pleasing in uh, the Lord's sight. Uh, Paul's described the whole Christian life that way. Urge the brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And that spiritual service of worship certainly means obeying commands. It certainly means that we struggle uh, with that at times to obey uh, commands. But it may mean, and it does mean as well, tackling large or small projects that are that the Lord puts on your heart. And how did Paul figure out and dream up this uh, plan to show unity and to advance uh, the gospel of uh, the Lord? Well, it's, it's love for one another. It's love for one another that... Uh, put this on Paul's uh, heart, his love for the people of uh, of Christ. And that love comes from Christ, comes f- from and through the gospel that he wrote about here in uh, Romans. And so that's why he urged the Romans believers to participate in this uh, project. He urged them by the love of the Holy Spirit, the love that compels us to love uh, each other. And that's what uh, put this uh, project on uh, Paul's heart. He was thinking of others, and he's thinking of others in uh, the body of Christ. And so uh, we, are to, we are to do the same. And then also, not only what the project was, but that every step was to be taken in prayer in, uh, in Jesus' name. And so the same Jesus Christ who teaches us to love one another 
to undertake uh, projects or, or do things uh, that express that love to one another also urges us to pray every step of the way, to live close to God as our Father in Christ uh, as we're doing this, to speak to him about this and to ask him uh, about this. The, the offering that we're presenting to the Lord is not just accomplished for God from a distance and then brought in to God at the end. Well, here's what I've done uh, for you. Here's your offering. But it's to be done every step of the way, relying on the Lord and relying on him in prayer. So what what you see in this passage, what comes out of this passage is actually a description of the Christian life. This might seem like a portion of Romans that is unimportant or relevant, uh, just wrapping up a few loose ends and uh, comings of goings. But actually, it shows us what the gospel is all about and the Christian life is all about. It's the life of giving to others and it's the life of prayer. When you become a Christian, you give up the life of sin and self. In fact, you're saved from that. You're forgiven uh, for that. The power of those things is broken. You give up the life of sin and self for the life of giving and life of communion with God uh, in Christ. And if you're not uh, a believer uh, today, Scripture invites you. Scripture invites you to become a believer. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be put on a probationary period. You can be forgiven today by trusting in Christ and the power of sin, the power of that life of sin and death will be broken and you'll be called into this kind of life, a life that's even shown by by this project uh, that that, uh, Paul uh, carried out. Uh, It's the life of giving and it's the life of uh, communion with God in Christ. Now, I've said that like it's... uh, once and for all event, you give up the life of sin and self and then you embrace this life of uh, giving and of communion with God. And in a sense, that's right. There is a point. There's a moment of uh, conversion, but it's also a process. God is putting to death in you. He's crucifying as a process the life of sin and self. And he's raising up in you, if you're a believer, a new life. And it's a life that's going to be this for all eternity, a life of giving to others and a life of communion uh, with God through prayer. And so that's what he's urging you. That's what he's calling you deeper uh, into. And it's a process that he will bring to completion. He wants you to know in advance that he's going to bring it to completion in the day of Christ. So don't doubt, but trust Christ and keep going in this life of giving and a life of uh, prayer and communion with the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for this scripture. We thank you for putting this... uh, great project on Paul's heart and then bringing it to us through the words of scripture. And it's an example. It's a great uh, model of what our life should be about. The life in Christ is about a life of giving, a life of expressing uh, unity and love and uh, a life of uh, prayer uh, with you and uh, walking with you closely as we live this life of uh, communion and love. Father, we thank you that when we come to you in prayer, we find kindness, we find grace to help in time of need that's uh, abundant. And so we pray that you might uh, call us further into giving of ourselves and into uh, prayer to you. We pray that the life of sin and self that we know too well, uh, because we were coming from that, we pray that that might diminish the power of that life might be broken and the power of this uh, new life might be increased uh, in us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.